fine. So Psalm 139 today is the lectionary reading. And the lectionary, as I mentioned before, is a series of readings that some churches follow every Sunday. And so there's always a lectionary reading that will take you through all the Psalms every year. And Sunday morning readings we typically do as part of our call to worship. And today is Psalm 139. And I don't often get to preach from the Psalms. So today I get to preach from the Psalms, which is going to be fun to do. So um, first of all, I want to say that as we come to the Psalms, and one of the reasons we're always going back to the Psalms is because the church for, since the Psalms have been part of our um, scriptures, which really has been forever because the Jewish, um, the Jews before we came along as Christians, they had this as their Psalter or their songbook. So um, Christians just picked it up from there because, of course, the church early on was primarily those coming from a Jewish background. And the Psalms have been a way of learning prayer. Not music necessarily, interestingly, because the Psalms don't even have music, no, musical notation for us to know what they originally sounded like. But they've been a way of teaching prayer. So when I am wondering, or when I am wondering, that's not the right word, when I am struggling with prayer, I go to the Psalms. When I'm unsure of what I should say, I borrow a prayer from the Psalms, believing that the Holy Spirit has given those to us. So as we look at a psalm and study it, which we, again, we don't often do, it is actually a way of teaching ourselves more about how to pray. So today we're going to be looking at Psalm 139, and I would like to read that for you now, and I encourage you to follow along if you have a Bible in front of you. Psalm 139, to the leader of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end. I'm still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. 
Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we invite you to be our teacher this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. In your name, amen. So when we read the Psalms as part of the lectionary, we don't often read the whole Psalm, in part because they're very long, and in part because some of them are difficult to just read and not have any instruction on. And I imagine for some of you, if you're like me, your ears pricked up when you're hearing, I hate people. You know, you're going, what's that all about? I hate someone with perfect hatred. So we're going to be digging into this a little bit more and understanding how this works, especially in light of understanding it as a prayer. As a prayer to God and how we might pray. So if we read verses, if we look at verses 1 through 6, this is the part where this, the David, we think King David probably wrote this, the psalmist, sometimes I just say, um, says, search me and know me. So it's, there's an invitation at the very beginning. God, come and, and look at me. And you'll notice the psalm ends this way too, doesn't it? But it begins by an invitation saying, God, come and look at me. Check me out. And then it jumps into this whole thing when it sounds like, well, it could sound one of two ways. You could either read it as David is saying, God, you're stalking me. <laughs> you're always there. You always know everything. And if I'm running away from you, you still find me. Even when I try to get away from you, you're finding me. That's one way to look at it. Or another way to look at it is, God, you're always there. You never leave me. It's so comforting. And it's not really, you're not really sure as you hear the psalm which direction the psalmist is going. I think probably how we read that, however we're feeling in the moment, probably in our relationship with God. And so the question I, I have is, is David describing running from God's presence or is David describing God's comfort? And I like to land on, maybe someone said the easy answer. I think it's the comfortable answer because it makes the most sense, which is both. I think it's both. Because if you're like me, and I like to think maybe David was a little bit like me, there are times when, because of my sinfulness, I want to be far from God's holiness. And there's times when, because of my hurt and my brokenness, I'm wanting, I'm needing God's presence and closeness. So I think it could be either or both. And so I would ask, you know, have you ever run from God? Have you ever tried to run from God? I always think of Jonah when I think about someone running from God. I mean, we have a whole book of the Bible about this thing. Because Jonah, if you remember, was a prophet. <clears throat> and God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them that I'm going to punish them. They need to turn to this big city. They need to turn away. And Jonah had, wants nothing to do with it, so he runs the opposite direction. Literally runs and travels the opposite direction. <clears throat> so we know the story of Jonah most um, commonly because of the whale. 
because eventually Jonah's on a boat and there's a big storm and it's terrible and God says, or the sailors think they're going to die and Jonah knows that the reason this is going on is because he's disobeying God and so he does a pretty honorable thing and he basically tells the sailors, hey, throw me overboard, God will save you. And so they throw Jonah overboard, sure enough, the storm stops and then a whale takes Jonah and then eventually, Jonah is released. And so then Jonah's like, okay, God, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Okay, God, I'll do what you say. I'll go to Nineveh and tell them what you want me to say. And so he walks into this huge city, and it's so big, he's walking day after day through the streets, and he's proclaiming God's repentance, and it's sort of a hellfire and brimstone, turn or burn kind of message. You are horrible. You've done evil things. You're disgusting. God is tired of you. He's going to punish you and destroy you. And what happens? The people repent. They're like, he's right. And they put on sackcloth and ashes, even the king. And they say, God, forgive us. And so God says, I forgive you. So now Jonah is ticked. He's like, God, I knew you were going to do this. You're always like this. This is why I didn't want to come here. Now I look stupid. I've been saying they're going to be punished, and now they're not. And so he's mad, and he runs out into the desert. So I think of Jonah, and then there's, read Jonah. I mean, it's a great, great book to just go back into. But we have stories in the scriptures of people running from God for a lot of different reasons. I think of, in my own life, the time when um, I was about 21... And right before I came and took my first job doing youth ministry in Mountain View, I was a firefighter, a wildland firefighter. And um, I had gone through college at Whitworth University w- w- studying theology with the intention of going into some kind of ministry. Because I knew back in high school, when I had a moment of sort of running from God, that that was God's call in my life. You see, I, to, I had these big plans. I was going to go to the Air Force Academy, and I was going to be a pilot. And I was um, at worship at a summer camp, and I felt very convicted that God was calling me into ministry. I was probably 16, 17. And I thought I was nuts. I thought I was hearing voices. And so I went and told my youth pastor. I said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is what I thought God said. And instead of telling me that I was nuts, he said, I know, yeah, that's right. I'm so excited. That was not what I wanted to hear. So I spent a year of running from God, like in my heart, just saying, God, I don't want anything to do with this. You're destroying my dreams. You're taking me away from what I would want to do before I surrendered. So I went and studied theology because I knew that's what God wanted me to prepare for. So after I get done, um, I'm doing my summer job. My wife begins teaching. We're getting married. I guess we weren't married yet. So my fiance. And then we're getting married. And then um, she's teaching. And I thought, you know, I could make a career out of this whole firefighting thing. And so I applied to be a smoke jumper. They didn't have any openings as smoke jumpers that year. So I was going back to my other job. And I knew in my heart, I, I was just, I was miserable. I was miserable in my heart because I had this calling on my life. And I was saying, God, I don't want anything to do with it. I want to do my own thing. And I was miserable until I surrendered. Until I said, okay, God. And it's, it, it, the rest of the story, I'll have to share other times. But it's amazing how I surrendered that to God, called one person, and literally within days had a phone call from 
um, the pastor in Marysville, where I would go and serve for 14 years and make many of my closest friends and start a seminary and do all those things. So have you ever run from God? That's my story. It's often in your heart. It's not necessarily a literal, like, I'm trying to get away from God. I don't think we're that foolish. So I, I find as I come to this psalm, some comfort in knowing that this is also a way of praying and saying, God, I'm trying, you know, I'm going far away from you, but you keep finding me. I try to get away this way, that way. If I could get to the farthest ends of the earth, you'd find me there. Verses 11 and 12 in this section I love because the psalmist says, If I say, surely darkness will cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day for the darkness is as light to you. So see, that's, that's a perfect example of why I think it could be both. Because there's times when it's just like, when my heart is walking away from God, it's like, I'm, I'm covering myself in darkness. God, I'm just too ugly. You won't even notice me because I'm, I'm sinful. But even that darkness isn't darkness to God. He brings light right into the middle of it. And then, I, I, to me, it's an image of a kid. Like when I was a kid, when I get scared, I'd pull all the covers over my head and get in the darkness. Even, you know, as you get older as a teenager, I remember doing this because it was like that idea of, when you're a little, little kid, if they can't see me, they can't hurt me, right? So even then, it's like the darkness isn't dark to you, God. And then I think about those Christians who have been many, many, and even today, who have been thrown in prison cells, in dungeons, essentially, in darkness. And for them to say, even the darkness is not darkness to you, God. You see me here. You bring light into this place. So that's why I find this to be both of those things. And I think it could be a prayer either way. And I think both prayers are completely appropriate when we're praying. Verses 13 to 18. Uh, this is the section that, there's a lot of verses in here you may have noticed that often get pulled out and placed individually because they're verses of comfort or verses that people like to quote. And I, I think that's fine. But as, as we read it all together, we see that, you know, after that, the psalmist is moving into this this way of saying, you search me and know me. I can't run from you. I can't hide from you. I don't want to, I would say. Because it was you who created my inward parts. And this whole section um, is, is basically the psalmist saying, um, you're, did you notice it says, my, your creation is, is wonderful. It's beautiful. And he's talking about himself. He's saying, you, you knit me together. That's one of those verses that gets quoted a lot. You knit me together when I was in my mother's womb. This verse often gets brought up in debates over abortion. And because many Christians hold a position um, against abortion, this is one of those things to say, look, God's at work even in the womb. And while I would say this is an important verse for that discussion, notice that it's bigger than that in this prayer. Because it's not just about being in the mother's womb. He says, when I was unformed, you were planning my days. I mean, that just blows me away. To think that before my mom, my grandma, my great-grandma, and go back before you could even find any physical way of saying Brandon was in the making, God had a plan, and he's like, I've, I've got them all designed. He's ready to go. His days are numbered out. I know my plans I have for him. It's 
incredible to think that God has done that for every single one of us. The, the psalmist likes to say there's a book in verse 16. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. The question, well, well, first of all, I, I think we need to acknowledge that scriptures say over and over again that every single one of us were created for a purpose. There were no accidents. Every single one of us were created for a purpose. We were given a body that was the body God wanted us to have. And whether or not anybody else likes it or we like it, it was the body God designed. Master craftsman. Not a message we often hear. And not only that, you're deeper. The spirit that was given to each one of us was a spirit that God designed. That he wanted us to have. Unique. Unlike any other. From the beginning of time to the end of the time, we each get to be completely unique and God-crafted. The question we need to ask then is, am I living the purpose for which I was created? My living the purpose for which I was created? And I want to say, it's never too early and it's never too late to ask that question. I think sometimes those who are younger tend to think, well, I can ask that question when I get my life figured out when I'm older. Am I living God's purpose? And when you're older, I think sometimes you can think, well, I probably missed the boat on that one. It might be a little late for me. And then those of us who are somewhere in the middle, I guess I can call myself middle-aged now, Um, we can be tempted to also say, you know what, I'll figure that out when I have a little bit more time. My kids are grown, whatever. I mean, but it's never, it's always the right time to ask that question. God, am I living for the purpose you created me right now, today, in what you have given me? Verses 19 to 22, this last section, is a section I said uh, that I feel like needs a little instruction because... It can sound a little harsh to our ears, to modern ears. Because the psalmist says, Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. And he says, Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. Sounds a little unusual, I think, for us. What's with all the hate, you might ask? One of the questions when we're looking at scripture that is difficult is to look, make sure we're placing it in context of what's being said. That is the first thing that helps us. And then if the context, the media context doesn't help us, then what you do is you move to other scriptures that are more clear on this point. So like for, as Christians, we would say, well, we know that Jesus says to love your enemies and not to hate them. So clearly, this is not necessarily talking about that. And if you look at the psalm, like I said, it begins with a statement that says, God, look at me, search me, know me. And it ends with the same thing. And he's just been talking about how God created his inward being and how God knows all of his thoughts. And he knows all of this. And then all of a sudden, it could, if we read it incorrectly, we we're thinking, well, it's just a jump from being, he's sort of being introspective and talking about himself and offering a prayer. Sort of a jump from that to some kind of thing where he's just saying, God, I hate the wicked. And then, oh, and then back to God, look at me. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This was a song. It was written and meant to be all together. So if we look at it in context, uh, my first question is, could it be? 
that David is talking about himself? Is that possible? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's certainly plausible because I know for myself as I read the scripture, and I'm, if I'm saying, God, search me and know me, and God, you created me, and you numbered all my days in your book, I start to think, uh, God, I'm probably not exactly doing the things you want me to do. And if you know my thoughts, you know my thoughts are not all the best. And oh, that you would kill the wicked, God. Oh, that you would take them far away from me. Do you see how that, that transitions? At least for me, it does. And then he's saying, God, don't I hate those things? I mean, I, I hate those who hate you, God. I don't like evil. I don't, even though I'm, I, I participate in it. I hate it. I hate it with perfect hatred. I don't want to be that God. That's how I look at this. And that may not be the right reading. But again, for me, when I look at this, that's how I see it. And then we could ask a question. Would there be anything wrong with saying, God, I hate those who hate you? And I guess then we have to get into linguistics, don't we? We have to say, well, what are we talking about when we're talking about hate? Are we talking about a feeling? Are we talking about actions? Are we talking about thoughts? What are we talking about? And I will say that I was really challenged on this years ago when I started teaching youth uh, using a curriculum from International Justice Mission. I mentioned them quite a bit because I think they're an amazing organization. They're working around the world where they, they recruit police officers and lawyers to go with them into countries, especially countries that have a lot of child sex trafficking, or countries that take children and put them into forced labor, where they basically, like parents will need, this is the classic way it'll work, parents who are very, very poor will have a child who gets sick, and a money lender will say, I will give you money for the doctor, but your child has to come work for me until they pay off the debt. And then they'll set it up so that that child can never pay off the debt. Because they may have them work for very low wages, and they'll often beat them and mistreat them. And they'll say, but you're getting interest charged on your loan. And then they, they work it so that especially those who are uneducated don't understand it. They will never be released. They'll never be free. And so International Justice Mission, a group of Christians who go in and they use the nation's own laws to fight against these things. And so they'll, they'll go to court and they'll force the courts to enforce things that corrupt police officers maybe wouldn't do. So they're a great organization. And one of the things in their instruction that they, the curriculum we were using to talk about this and talking about justice, they talked about hating the things that God hates. And I found that to be very powerful. Should we not hate the things that God hates? God hates injustice. Doesn't God hate it? When orphans and widows are abused and mistreated, isn't that all through our scriptures? Doesn't God hate it when aliens and strangers are abused and mistreated? Because it's in the law that God's people would not be like that. Doesn't God hate that? Shouldn't I hate that? So I think hate is a strong word and it carries a lot of emotion for us. But I will say that I think it is completely appropriate for us as Christians to say, God, smite them. <laughs> God, take them out. Get those money lenders out of there. Those people who take children and put them in brothels. God, kill them. You know, God doesn't have to listen to me. 
God can do like God did with Jonah and say, if you don't repent, you're going to be punished. But if you repent, I'll forgive you and they may repent. And I might not like that. That's God's prerogative. That's not mine. But as someone who wants God's heart, I think it's okay for us to pray like that. I think we even should be aware that those issues that God hates are out there and we should be praying for those. But getting back to the psalmist, in this prayer, I really believe that in this psalm, in this prayer, what David is doing is he's saying, God, there's like this cancer inside of me. Because even though I can say, you know, God, take them out and, and hate them, I know that the same things that they're doing have a seed in me. There's a part of me that sometimes abuses other people, takes advantage, uses power incorrectly. God, take that out of me. And so for me, I think of the image of cancer. I often like to think of sin like a cancer. Jesus is a physician. You know, I need some surgery, God. Would you just take it out? Would you get rid of me? And then this is where I feel like this prayer leads us. This prayer leads us to Jesus and to the feet of Jesus. Because we know that we can have confidence to pray that prayer. To pray this song. Knowing that God, when God finds wickedness in us, that he removes it, he forgives it, he helps us to overcome. So the psalm ends, and it says, See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Or some translations might say, lead me, lead me into everlasting life, or eternal life. And when we're praying that prayer, God, see if there's any wicked way in me and then take me in your path, your way. It's not just saying, take me to heaven. I think we tend to jump to that when we hear everlasting or eternal. Say, God, you have a life for me right now. It's abundant. It's full. It's light. That's the life I want. God, lead me in that way. And then Jesus comes and gives us the power to do that. Let's pray. Father, I know we said earlier, but I feel like it's appropriate for us to say again, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. We need you. God, we need you so desperately. We can't be right without you. And thank you. Thank you for being a merciful God. Pray God to bring an end to suffering and pain and injustice. We know this is your plan, and we know that we get to be a part of that plan. Help us to be more like you and to live a faithful life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.